Father, I ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. You alone are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Almost there. Keep going. Almost there. Keep going. That's where we are on the third Sunday of Advent. Um, And every time I hear that, almost there, keep going, um, I think about a road race that I ran several, several years ago. Um, You may not know this, but years ago, before uh, some significant knee issues, um, I was an avid runner and would run 5Ks and 10Ks, half marathons. And this time of year is a great time to run because they always have races that are focused on fun. And so you have like jingle jogs and Santa strolls, and they're all made to just kind of go slow and have fun. Um, no one's, you know, out there to win a world record. You're just enjoying the season. You see Santa hats, um, the whole deal. And I remember uh, about this time of the year, several years ago, I ran an 8K race. That's about five miles. Um, it was up in Winterville, and it was the oddest race that I've ever run. Um, and what was odd about this race is where they decided to put the water station. Because for this five-mile run, um, I guess they, they had it where you ran like two and a half miles out and then turned around and came back. And I guess their volunteers didn't want to go very far. And so the volunteers set up the water station at about the four-and-a-half-mile mark out of five. Um, that's not generally how you do that. But I remember going, you know, you run out, you're looking for the water, looking for the water, you need refreshment. You, cut, you finally see it, and you're like, man, I don't even need that right now. I'm almost done. And the folks, these freezing volunteers are just yelling, almost there, keep going. Almost there, keep going. Have uh, some water, have some brief refreshment. And uh, that's my goal for us this morning, is that we would just kind of hit this water station on this Advent journey um, right before we get to uh, Christmas. Um, Actually, the way we're doing it this year, I think this is the shortest Advent can be. Uh, because Christmas Eve is on a Sunday. And uh, this facility actually shuts down over the winter. And so next Sunday, we're not going to be here. Um, If you come, you're welcome to try to pick the lock on the gate at the front and come enjoy the the trails. But we won't be here next Sunday in the morning. We're going to have one service on Sunday evening together. So we'll go right from this third Sunday of Advent, uh, sometimes called the Pink Candle Sunday, um, and we'll go right to Christmas Eve next week at 6 p.m. At a, at a different location. Um, we're kind of on the move, on this journey together. And so what we're going to do this morning is actually look at Psalm 126. We've been looking at the Psalms during the Advent season. And this particular Psalm uh, is very much an on-the-journey Psalm. Uh, psalm 126 is part of this group that were called the Psalms of Ascent and Uh, What would happen is that when worshipers and pilgrims would go up to Jerusalem for the great festivals, um, they would pray and sing these songs along the way. Um, And Psalm 126 was one of the main songs that they sang on their way uh, to the great festivals. Um, You can think of this like a lot of you will probably travel over the next few weeks and you'll get a playlist and you want like a good playlist for the road trip. That's kind of what these are. Um, The Bible gives us these songs of ascent, these Uh, songs to sing and pray along the journey. And in many ways, they're all encouragement. Almost there, keep going. We're almost in Jerusalem. Let's move towards 
uh, God's promise and his presence. And so I want to look at this in a few parts this morning. Um, first, to, to look at um, how, how this psalm looks back at the work God had done in their midst. Um, how this psalm looks ahead to what they would like the Lord to do. Um, and then actually kind of zoom out and see how some of the uh, images and ideas of this psalm actually inform um, the New Testament and actually even shape the Christmas story um, that we're coming to here in the next few days and next Sunday. Um, and so first, uh, let's look at the first three verses of this psalm. And I'll be jumping between the English Standard Version, uh, the translation uh, of the psalm, and what we had in the bulletin that's more of a poetic version um, that's in the Book of Common Prayer. Um, like many of these psalms, all, all of these are in between. They all look back at what God had done. Um, they remark on their present circumstances, and they all look ahead to what they want God to do in the future. Um, and I actually think that's why they're so useful for us, um, because we too can look back at all that God has done, um, we can take stock of our current circumstances, how the Lord meets us and how we would like him to meet us, and we can look ahead with hope. Um, the Advent season is, is unique that way. It looks back to the first coming of Jesus. Um, we look at right now how Jesus comes among us by his spirit, through his word and at his table, through his people. Um, and it looks ahead to when Christ will come again. Um, it's always a little awkward. If you notice, all of our readings this year, a lot of our songs, a lot of the liturgy, um, looks ahead to the future coming of Jesus. And you're like, wait a minute, I thought we were doing Christmas. What's happening? It all looks ahead uh, to the hope we have when God will come and flood all of his good creation, renew it, um, and make all things right, the way we heard about in Isaiah 65. He will fulfill all of his promises um, that we're still waiting on. But here, this people, in Psalm 126, here's how it starts. When the Lord overturned the captivity of Zion, or when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, uh, we were like those who dream. Our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. And so specifically, when this psalm would have been written, um, this would have been a chance for God's people would have been celebrating their return from exile. We've talked about this the last few weeks, uh, but there were several exiles in the Old Testament. One was when um, the two tribes who made up the southern kingdom of Judah uh, were conquered and taken away in captivity to Babylon, um, the Babylonian exile, this major exile for God's people. Um, and uh, after that exile, we hear that they're actually released to go back to the land. It's this amazing moment where God uh, disciplines his people he sends them into exile, and then somehow they come back. It seems almost uh, too good to be true. They were given permission um, to return. Um, the emperor at the time, his name uh, was Cyrus, and he, he actually sent them. Hey, you are free to go, free to return. And I think we hear that, and we just think, okay, that's a tick on the timeline of the Old Testament. That is a uh, shocking miracle. Um, Never before that I'm aware of in, in the history of the world did you have a, an empire come in, conquer a people, take the best and brightest away into exile, um, and then send them back and let them go. That's not how victory works. That's not how conquering works. 
Uh, Bishop N.T. Wright points out that imperial powers over many centuries had carried whole peoples away captive. That wasn't new. That was known. Um, Who ever heard of a nation, even part of a nation being restored, sent home again, getting its capital city back once more? And so their joy uh, is bubbling over. Um, And it actually bubbles over almost with unbelief. Not unbelief in uh, that they had a lack of faith, unbelief in that this is unbelievable. Like, this doesn't happen. This isn't how this should go. Um, They are almost in shock. The psalmist says, we were like those who dream. Is this too good to be true? Uh, Do we need to pinch ourselves and wake up? Look at what God is doing in our midst. It says, verse 2, then our mouth was filled with laughter. Our tongue was shouts of joy. They're, They're incredulous and happy about what God has done. That he's at work in the midst of his people. Um, and when it says our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongue with shouts of joy, um, I need to be honest, this was not a polite Anglican shout of joy. Um, we're not known for our exuberance or shouting in joy. Um, this was God's people going nuts. They're so excited for what God has done in their midst. Um, one Old Testament scholar, Alan Ross, says that the word used here for joy It is the joy that you would send up after victory in war or after a terrible calamity. Um, I'm told that it would actually refer to a specific sound where you would flick your tongue back and forth in your mouth and you would yell out with a trill. Um, And so, Chris, if you would come up to the... (laughs) Just kidding. Sorry. Um, No, it's a huge shout. A huge joy that they exhibit because their long journey of exile is over and they're coming home. As God's people year after year return to Jerusalem for the festival, they recalled this time of incredible joy. They're like, can you believe we're getting to go back to the great city again? Can you believe that we're going to encounter the power and presence of the Lord again? And, And that actually fits the Advent season. Uh, I mean, Advent sometimes is kind of down and sad. We use minor chords uh, for all the music. But in many ways, this is the exuberant Sunday. This is that we're almost there. Keep going. Can you believe that we get to celebrate the power and presence of the Lord again who came among us at Christmas? And look, here, the, it's, what's interesting is the people notice. Verse 2, it, the, the work of God in their midst gets the nation's attention Verse 2, then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. And it says, the Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad um, indeed. I really like this section because it tells us that when God is at work in our lives, uh, people will notice. And sometimes they'll encourage us by saying, hey, we see how the Lord has worked in your life. We see the Lord at work in your life. And when that happens, uh, it's almost like it preaches back to us. uh, The nation said the Lord has done great things, and God's people go, the Lord has done great things. This is incredible. Um, It's just worth knowing, if you ever take the work of the Lord for granted, just remember those who have not drawn near what they see, and just go, man, what would it be like to not know the Lord? What would it be like to not know his forgiveness and his power, and his presence, and his joy. The Lord has done great things 
for us. We should never take it for granted. It should fill us with joy year after year, week after week, day after day. Um, And we should let folks know about it. We don't have to be shy. It'll shine forth and be evident in our lives and with those around us. We should invite people to even come and see what the Lord has done um, in our midst, what the Lord has done in our lives and what the Lord can do in their lives. Um, That's part of what's happening here in Psalm 126 is everyone's going, man, if God could take a nation in exile and put them back in their land, what could he do with my life and the exile that I feel? When I feel totally at a loss and destroyed and bereft, do I realize that the Lord can work even in every situation that looks hopeless? Because that's where they were. They were in Babylon. They were conquered. Um, They had no power. Um, They could not determine their next steps. And the Lord intervened to have the emperor say, hey, y'all go home in a way that had never been done before. And it encouraged everybody. They were shocked by it. And so in light of that, you see the psalm makes a shift, not just looking back, but looking ahead. Um, It says, indeed, uh, the Lord has done great things for us already. And then it prays, Lord, would you overturn our captivity? Or verse 4 in the English Standard Version, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev, the desert. And this psalmist starts weaving these images together of what they want God to do here and now and what they want God to do for them and for the whole world in the future. And he uses these rich images, um, restore our fortunes, O Lord, uh, like the streams in the Negev. Um, And again, I don't know if, I mean, the Negev, where's that? (laughs) How is that a rich image? Let me just, a little context for this. Um, The Negev is a desert. This is the southern desert in Israel. um, And it's part of the the desert um, that exists between Israel and Egypt. And so when God's people uh, were redeemed and wandering in the wilderness, um, when they were waiting to get into where God had promised to encounter his power and presence, they're out in the wilderness. They eventually come through the desert of the Negev. Um, This is the almost there place. This is a we're longing to meet with the Lord again place. And they pray, hey, this is going to be like water in that desert land. Um, And and water in a desert, that that sounds wild. Um, And again, you might, I I don't know much about deserts. Do we have anyone from like Arizona here? Any? Okay, I have a friend, he, he's in Phoenix right now, so he tells me about the desert and the heat and all, all the triple digits. I think it's still over 100, like right now in Arizona. Um, but when I think of the desert, I think like there's no water at all. Um, but that's not the kind of deserts they had. They had deserts where it was mostly bereft of water. But at least once a year, usually towards the end of the winter or early spring, huge storms would come up. And it was almost as if they said, hey, you just need this one big injection of life and vitality once a year, and it kept the whole thing going. And um, it it was such strong storms that it would furrow these streams and rivers um, in the desert itself. And so you got this crazy image that you didn't see the rest of the year of these waters rushing through a dry and barren land. Um, and, And what's interesting that I think that that's an image 
that the Lord wants us to hold on to. Um, Because many of us, God's people in exile felt dry and barren. Lord, there's not life here. There's not vitality here. Um, We're in need of you to visit us with rain and life and flourishing again. And that can be true of people. I I don't know about you. Sometimes we can come into a season, um, especially December, and be like, man, we feel dry and barren. Um, Lord, in theory, we've been preparing all Advent. But you're like, man, I don't even know what day it is. Like, how do we get this far in the Advent? Um, I am dry and barren and need the Lord to come and to work again, to, to bring streams of water in the desert. Um, and again, if you just think about that phrase, water, I mean, think about how Jesus grabs onto that phrase. Um, I mean, over and over, you see these hyperlinks in the scripture. They kind of link to other parts um, and so if you think about when Jesus is talking with the woman at the well, um, and there's a lot of dry and barrenness there. And Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The gospel of John says, now this Jesus said about the spirit, whom those believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Um, that's how scripture works sometimes. When we read, Lord, would you pour out water in the desert? You can actually link that to the living water Jesus talks about, which John tells us is the spirit. In the midst of our need, in the midst of things that are dry and barren and hard, Lord, would you pour out your Holy Spirit into our lives again? Would you pour that out in our midst to bring life and to bring flourishing. We need the Lord to flood and fill us with this living water just as much as they needed storms in the desert and streams in the desert. Um, You see the exuberance of the first few verses, the desperate desert of verse 4, and then the hope in the next few verses. Um, I want to shift frame a little bit because when I think about our need for the Holy Spirit um, and for God to work, Um, I actually go back to a prayer that I learned, gosh, almost 20 years ago from N.T. Wright. Um, I think everyone here, if you're regular at St. Thomas, you know, like I'm a big N.T. Wright fan. Um, He has shaped and influenced the way I approach the scriptures, the way I approach ministry, the way I approach culture. Um, But before, and and those are all technical kind of scholarly things. Um, But more than that, he has really framed how I think about the spiritual life. Um, and how I think about following the Lord and even prayer. And so about 20 years ago, I came across this, this thing he had done. Um, he had taken a, a, an ancient prayer of the church, the Jesus prayer, and said, hey, I'm going to make this Trinitarian. Um, and, and I want to give, it's this really short uh, prayer he put together, and it's the kind of prayer that you can pray all the time. Kind of like the Lord's Prayer. It's one of those that you can just utilize in most situations. Um, It's the kind of prayer that you can pray slowly and repeatedly. It's actually designed where you can even pray it with your breath. You can inhale with one clause and then exhale with the other. It's a way to center yourself before the Lord. Um, I just want to share it with you today. Because it might be that simply learning this prayer uh, could be the best application you have uh, from Psalm 126. Um, and just to even get a little easier, a few years ago, friends of ours in Atlanta put this prayer to music. And so we're going to sing it um, in a few minutes. 
And I think it'll, it'll, you can memorize it pretty easily when it's put um, to music. But it's, it's beautiful and simple. Here's what it says. Um, Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, set up your kingdom in our midst. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Holy Spirit, breath of the living God, renew me and all the world. Short, concise, rich, and full. We actually, when I was ordained, we had this on the front of the bulletin. <laughs> That's, it's on our website. We sing it. Like I think this is one of those tools that if we learn it and live with it, um, it will give voice to the prayer that we should pray. Um, and the Lord will uh, lean out and answer. He'll begin establishing his kingdom. He'll have mercy on us and on our sin. And he'll begin refreshing us with his Holy Spirit and leading us into the mission and vocation he's given us, um, just like streams of water um, in the desert. The last two verses here are quite interesting. Um, what you read is it says, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Um, super, super interesting that um, on the one hand, you just get this idea of seed and harvest, you get this idea of the need for a garden to flourish, kind of all the way like back in Genesis. Um, but I want to key in um, on one, one little thing. And, and this is taking us a, a little far from the psalm again. But it talks about that he who bears the seed for sowing um, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Um, have you ever done a study of the word seed in the scriptures? <laughs> it's all over the place. The idea of seed and sowing. Um, and so if you think all the way back in the book of Genesis in the garden, um, Adam and Eve fall, and part of their curse is it's going to be harder to plant seeds and have them bear fruit. Um, the ground is affected by the sin and the chaos that sin introduces. And so you have a seed that goes forth, and it's just, man, it doesn't do quite what you want it to do. And so all through the Old Testament, you hear these promises of a time where um, God's good creation will be renewed and function the way it should. We heard about it in Isaiah 65, the new heavens, the new earth, this place where lions eat straw um, and all is at peace. Um, but then if you take that all the way into the New Testament, this idea of seed, um, you just see it over and over and over again. Um, and it hits so, one is you could actually look at the way um, Abraham in the Old Testament has promised that his seed, his descendants will flood and fill the earth. And Galatians tells us that that seed is Jesus. And it's those who are connected to that seed who will actually bear fruit. And you'll see this flourishing and this harvest. Um, and because this is one of the favorite images, Jesus uses this idea of seed all over the place. He has parables where sowers are throwing seed out. Um, he has other parables where you have to wait for the seed to come out of the ground. Um, Bishop N.T. Wright says the picture of the sower going out to sow uh, looks back to the ancient prophecies of Isaiah and Jeremiah and the great parables of Jesus in Mark 4. It's a regular picture of hope. But we plant a seed in hope, don't we? And then we wait like Advent for it to blossom and come forth. 
Um, but that's a contested and difficult process. In the, in the Gospels themselves, the work of sowing the kingdom, um, it will be done in tears and weeping because it will cost Jesus his very life. And, and then the one who was the, the, the word of God is planted in the ground after his death like a seed, but then eventually that springs forth through the resurrection into new life and new growth and a new birth. You get all these little hyperlinks all through the scriptures when you talk about a seed being sowed with uh, weeping and waiting for the shouts of joy when the harvest is brought home. Um, one last little thing, and hopefully this is just to kind of play with this image a little bit uh, here on the third Sunday of Advent. Um, but when I think of a seed, um, one of the things that's pretty clear is that seeds are vulnerable. I mean, if you think about the parable of the sower, uh, Jesus says that seed is scattered and some of it is planted and grows. And what happens with some of it? Well, some of it falls on rocky ground and can't even go down. And some of it, birds come and snatch. Like seed is, man, it's really vulnerable. That's why you actually plant a lot of it. Um, but that's not what the Lord does with Jesus. If you will, think about his birth, his incarnation as a seed. Um, he, he just sends one. And think about how vulnerable of a plan that is. Jesus, the seed that comes down from heaven to be planted on the earth, um, he, he's born as a baby, as an infant. Um, now, our church knows something about this. We've, we've had a lot of babies this year. Um, and one of the things you learn is they don't come out fully ready for action. They don't come out flourishing. They come out with lots of weeping. <laughs> um, I, I was actually with uh, one of our families this past Monday. They, they just had a little baby boy. Um, and it's always good to have, you know, this around Christmas time. It just kind of helps you reflect on the season. And uh, this little guy, um, he was born early. And so he was in the NICU. And they kind of said, hey, can our, can our priest come and visit and pray over our son? And they were like, yeah, bring him on over. So that, that was, you know, a special and privileged time. But I just couldn't help, like, look at this little baby boy and be like, man, how fragile. Like, how vulnerable. Like, how subject to every, um, you know, ailment and sickness. And, you know, we're, we're in there going like, you know, make sure we don't, like everyone gets the antibacterial. Like we don't want to get this kid sick. Um, he's on oxygen. There's feeding. Like he, he needs everything just to survive. Um, and, and what the scriptures tell us, and again, this is kind of zooming out from Psalm 126, is that what we're going to celebrate next Sunday um, on Christmas Eve, this journey we've been preparing for, almost there, keep going, is this ludicrous plan of God to come forth in the flesh as an infant child, helpless and vulnerable and in danger from the moment he's born, as we learn from what Herod ends up doing. Um, and eventually that, that fragileness, that vulnerability um, will result in his death for you and for me. And then when that seed is planted, it will spring forth into new life for everyone and everything. And so on this third Sunday of Advent, this 
almost there, keep going uh, Sunday, uh, just bear that in mind. As we come to this great time of festival and celebration, it's shocking to think about how would the Lord, how would God Almighty have viewed the incarnation of his son? This risky sending forth, um, sending the seed out for sowing and waiting for it to come home with shouts of joy and a great harvest. Um, I'd like to pray for us this morning um, as we close. Um, And I'd actually like to pray a prayer for the fourth Sunday in Advent because we're going to skip it. Um, But I want to pray this for us, and then we'll stand and say the creed and continue uh, with our prayers. But would you pray with me for a moment? Stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us. And as we are sorely hindered by our sins from running the race that is set before us, Let your bountiful grace and mercy speedily help and deliver us through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory now and forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you join me in standing?